Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I'm Bradley Honda alongside Kyle Betts. It's Saturday, July 23rd, just after 10 o'clock here this morning here on the West Coast. Plenty of action to get to, but first, how are you doing, Kyle? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, degree is finished up here in Arizona, so that's great. Now I can just start applying to jobs everywhere and it's going to be a long process, but uh, hopefully not though. Um, kind of expecting the worst but it's definitely a good feeling to be done and um hopefully get into sports media in some way shape or form and yeah i mean it, it was a pretty quiet week in terms of what we were doing in, in, in work and I, I think pretty much all the same in the sports world too i mean mm-hmm. really just the all-star game home and derby the sbs too obviously that that yeah. stuff going on um, mm-hmm. But we're getting some action back this weekend, so that's nice. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the Home Run Derby this after uh, this evening or today, along with the All Star Game. We're going to talk some Padres. We're going to talk some Angels. Um, we're going to talk some NFL Madden rankings as uh, ratings start to be unveiled and teams start to convene for the first time for mm-hmm. training camp by next weekend. All Every single team in the National Football League will have began at training camp. Um, and then we will also get to trivia that is also NFL-based. So certainly get ready for the National Football League season here in 2022. But let's get into the fast five real quickly. Um, on Monday, Team USA Women's Soccer, they took down Canada one nothing in the CONCACAF championship game on Monday, like I mentioned. And with the win, they clinched their spot in the 2024 Summer Olympics. And that goal by Team USA was scored by Alex Morgan on a penalty kick in the 78th minute. Yeah, that's great to see you love our country being back in that spot in the Olympics. And, um, you know, Alex Morgan just been a part of that really every year. Um, And, she's probably going to end up playing the 24 Olympics as well. Um, barring, you know, hopefully no injuries to her. And she's able to continue riding out that wave with the San Diego wave and continue getting goals for them in the NWSL. But yeah, this is a really good start and good momentum for this team. We all know how good this team is too. So um, you love being your neighbors up to the North as well. Mm-hmm. Also, um, this weekend, the 2022 Hall of Fame class will be inducted at tomorrow. Uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame class in Cooperstown, New York, uh, featuring um, David Ortiz. Yeah, that'll be a really nice moment for those guys, especially David Ortiz. I mean, um, you bring him up. There's no guy more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame than him, and um, his career was fantastic. I loved his little spiel during the all-star game as well when he was uh kind of talking to guys in the dugout and just kind of messing around with with all the mlb players and um having around for events like that and just being around the game still to this day even in this new capacity where he's not playing but he's still you know broadcasting uh, trying to play yeah yeah <laughs> I, I think it's great for everyone mm-hmm. david ortiz um as he was talking to players and coaches in the All-Star game or in the American League dugout during the All-Star game on Tuesday, he did ask manager Dusty Baker if he could get in, and Dusty told him maybe in the ninth inning. Yeah. All, All right. right. That was funny. 
Mm -hmm. Number three on the Fast Five comes down in the desert. News from the desert as the Arizona Cardinals signed quarterback Kyler Murray to a five-year, $230.5 million extension that will keep him in Arizona until 2028. Yeah, they're finally figuring out their contract situation with him. And um, yeah, I think it is a big deal and it's a lot of money, but um, I think it could be worth it, you know, if he's able to live up to why he was that, you know, top draft pick. Mm -hmm. um, as a result, the average annual value is $46.1 million. There were tweets going on around saying that the uh, Oakland Athletics payroll is $48 million or something like that, so he's making just as much as the Oakland wow. A's. And I say that because Kyler Murray was drafted by the Oakland A's, I'm pretty sure, in the first round as well. Yeah, he, he was a stud and... Um, safe to say, I, I guess financially he made the right decision. Mm -hmm. We are going to keep in the NFC West because the, the Los Angeles Rams, the players, the coaches, and the staff all receive their Super Bowl, Super Bowl rings on Thursday. Yeah, I, I didn't see much from this, but I saw obviously Deshaun Jackson, who got a ring. Um, mm -hmm. And also Von Miller saw him pose with his Recent ring, obviously, and then one from Super Bowl 52 um, mm -hmm. with the Broncos. I thought that photo was really cool. Mm -hmm. I think, let's see, Matthew Stafford, obviously, with his ring. Pretty sure he – I think he made an Instagram account, I think it was, but now oh, that he got uh, his yeah. Super Bowl ring and something <laughs> like that. Uh, uh, last, uh, uh, last one to get to on the fast swipe came last night. Um, we had a match at Fenway Park between the Boston Red Sox and the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. And before this thing was halfway done, game was already out of sight as the Blue Jays took down uh, the Red Sox 28 to 5. Yeah, this was a game in which you saw, I believe, every starter had at least two hits for the Blue Jays. Um, so if you had money on this game where every player in the Blue Jays lineup gets a hit, then you're looking at a lot of money. And mm -hmm. on the other hand, you see the Red Sox and, man, Nathan Uvalde giving up nine, not even lasting three full innings, and then just the rest of the way all going downhill for that bullpen. And, man, you don't see a score like that very often. Um, and the Blue Jays actually ended up with one more hit than uh, runs. And I was hoping they would get to 30, but uh, maybe next time. The, the Blue Jays used a seven-run third inning and an 11-run fifth inning to help uh, widen that lead. It was, I think it was 25-3 to three after the fifth inning. Yeah. yeah yep. And also, um, also some notes and stats from that game. Until last night, uh, these four stats had never have never all occurred in the same season let alone by one team in the same game. So, number one, they scored 28, 28 runs on the road. That's something that uh, has never occurred. Um, but also, there was a hit, uh, an inside-the-park grand slam that was by Rymel Tapia. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. The Blue Jays hit for the home run cycle, meaning you get solo shot, two-run homer, three-run homer, and a grand slam. Wow. And a player with six plus hits in a nine-inning game. Yeah, I think that inside the park grand slam from Tapia stood out to me because 
It's it's just like I, I saw their the Red Sox center fielder Duran. He couldn't find the ball, and it was way behind him, went way far near the warning track, off the wall, and he just didn't even try. I mean, at, at that point, he just started walking away. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, I was like, okay, this is going to be a slaughter, you know? <laughs> yeah. So all four of those things hadn't happened uh, in the same season, let alone by one team in the same game. So like they say, you never know what you're going to see at the ballpark. Yeah, that's definitely a, a case of that, man. 11 runs in the fifth inning, and if you're a Red Sox fan, man, I I don't even know if I if I stay because I, I want to see them get to 30 or if I just if I just leave early. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Do you wait till the eighth inning for Sweet Caroline, Kyle? Well, apparently they still played it. Yeah, of course. yeah, uh huh. And that must have been the most depressing Sweet Caroline of all time. <laughs> Uh, all right we're gonna continue on with some mlb um monday was all-star media uh media day before the home run derby and it was announced that mike trout was named a captain for team usa in the world baseball classic next year um and it'll lead uh, team usa yeah you see absolutely no favoritism by mike Sosha here no, I'm just kidding. It's uh, obviously Mike Trout. He's the best player in this country, um, coming from this country. And I, I think it's going to be great. It, it's going to be a fun time for baseball and no better guy to have in that position than Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were talking on MLB Network that this would be if Otani is also in the World Baseball Classic, it'd be the yeah. first time that these two would would go up against each other. Man, can, can you imagine uh, Shohei pitching for Japan against Mike Trout? I mean, that's mm-hmm. just, that, that is everything you want to see mm-hmm. um, as a baseball fan, uh, as a sports fan. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be just something. I, I would also love to see, you know, um, USA, Dominican Republic. That would be a hell of a yeah. Mm-hmm. Mike Trout has never faced Shohei Otani even during – a live BP session. So it'd be interesting to see um, who wins that, that matchup. All right. We're going to speaking of Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. They were at the all-star game uh, and they were at all-star week, taking the trip up to Dodger stadium Uh, in the all-star game. The American league won three to two. The MVP was from the New York Yankees. Giancarlo Stanton hit a game time two run homer in the fourth inning, which was in the midst of a back-to-back, uh, home runs with also Minnesota's Byron Buxton to put the American League out in front for good. Yeah, um, I, I think that was pretty interesting. You saw Gonsolin, you know, pitching mm-hmm. in, in, in his home territory and, you know, just kind of get beamed off of right there. And especially after, you know, such a strong first inning from Clayton Kershaw. Um, if you're a Dodgers fan, not what you like to see. But yeah, that, that was the ultimate deciding factor in the game. Uh, not much scoring going on, but um, definitely worthy of that MVP um, sort of honor. John Carlo is, and that's kind of what you've seen just in recent years too. Um, in the All Star Game, it just takes one swing of a bat, and you could be the MVP. Mm-hmm. Tony Gonsolin, uh, we mentioned, took the loss as the first starting pitcher to enter the All Star break undefeated, but then take the loss in the All Star Game, whether he started the All Star Game or not. 
So that is a pretty Very unique neat. stat there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's neat. Mm-hmm. You think about uh, what's happened all week. You mentioned the, uh, also you had the home run derby as well. Um, Albert Pujols uh, got to the semis as the number eight seed, took down top overall seed Kyle Schwarber, uh, 20 to homers to 19. This matchup was tied at 13 through the original regulation period, and Pujols outlasted Schwarber seven to six in the one minute swing off. Um, let's see, you got Julio Rodriguez putting up 32 home runs in the first round. Yeah, yep. Um, was the eventual champion over or was the eventual runner up over Juan Soto? Um, Juan Soto, 16 home runs in the second round to beat Albert Pujols, um, hits 19 in the finals. and uh, Pete Alonso losing to Julio Rodriguez in the semifinals. Yeah, I think that, you know, J-Rod, he, he was kind of my dark horse pick for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, love his swing, lo- love his power, love his enthusiasm for the game. Um, P- Pujols beating Schwarber, I don't think that's much of a surprise, to be honest. I mean, obviously Schwarber has, should have more power than him at this yeah. point in both their careers, but – I mean, Albert is way too competitive to just, you know, fold like that. So, I mean, I don't think that was that much of a surprise. Um, But I I think Soto ending up winning this derby, I mean, yeah, um, very fitting for him. um, And he's he's well-deserving of that, uh, outlasting J-Rod. And, man, I mean, that does nothing but increase his trade value. We all know that he's, you know, um, Mm -hmm. being developed in these potential trade packages or whatever. And we don't know if that's going to happen or not. but um definitely helping his stock right now mm-hmm. we're to get more on juan soto and his trade value in a little bit but kyle you think about the entire all-star week whether it was leading up to the all-star game the home run derby or during the derby in the game what were some of the best moments that you saw yeah i think honestly it was that moment with kershaw taking them out um that was so cool just to see that experience um he, he is just one of those players that you can't hate, you know, even though he's, he's been a Dodgers old career. I, I just feel like you can't hate the guy. I mean, he's just, he's so open, so honest. And you can see that reception there in Dodger stadium, not from all the Dodgers fans, but just from all the baseball fans there. Um, I think that was fantastic. And you saw, I believe it was Ken Rosenthal interview him before the game. He asked him a couple questions. I'm like, man, that, that's ballsy to do something like that with Clayton Kershaw. Like, I, I get it's the all-star game, but, like, that guy is always locked in before start. Like, he definitely does not like being talked to right now. Um, but for him to face Shohei, and Shohei ends up getting a single, but he picks him off. And, you know, you could say, oh, Kershaw balked or whatever. Um, I, I thought that whole interaction was pretty cool as well. Um, both those guys getting interviewed before first pitch. Shohei saying, you know, first pitch for swing, you know, uh, we'll see what can happen. And then, you know, he actually makes it happen. And we didn't even see EPA out there. You know, he didn't need that translated. Nope. Tells you how good his English, uh, Shohei's English has grown. Yeah. Um, during his time. I think we saw that a lot, uh, especially during the media aspects for Shohei this week. Yeah. I think that part of Shohei, you know, um, him being, you know, an international player is that not a lot of people realize how good his English actually is. And he doesn't show that usually. 
And so mm-hmm. that's why. Um, but I, I've seen stories, you know, from uh, Angels beat writers that, you know, his English is actually better than a lot of people actually think just because, you know, he's talking to his teammates behind the scenes. No one really ever gets to see that. Um, but th- I think that was the coolest moment um, of the All-Star game, to be honest. I was kind of working on a project during that. So I was only watching where I could, but um, that was a cool moment. I think for me, the best moment was probably during the home run derby after it was after the, uh, I can't remember which round, but it was when Albert Pujols finished his round, you see all the players come and greet him as if knowing that it's his final all-star week. Um, he's in the home run derby for this nostalgic purpose. Yep. And you see Albert Pujols getting after his round, I think after the first round against Kyle Schreiber when he won, oh, or it might have been against Juan Soto in the second round. I can't quite remember. But you see all the players, both from the National League and the American League, come and just um, basically thank Albert Pujols for everything that he's done for this game. Yep. Um, and it just it takes another step further of just him realizing the fact of, he's going back to St. Louis room where his career began. And you see that step forward, that next step of, you see the impact that he's had on these players that are now stars of the game where he once where he was too. I think it's a great point because when you look at a lot of those guys who were in that derby, Juan Soto, J-Rod, I mean, they're all in their early twenties. So mm-hmm. Albert Poulos was once in their shoes as well. And so now this is the next generation of guys who are, trying to change the game just like Albert did. And mm-hmm. I, I think no, no better guy to idolize than him. He has done everything the right way. Um, he's had such a storied career. Same with Miggy as well. You know, we saw him during the All-Star game. Um, I, I think just having that cultural impact is so important. And especially for those guys to not only look up to him throughout, you know, their young career so far, but also to swing, uh, be, you know, beside him is even cooler. I mean, just that influence will always resonate with them. And I'm hoping that generation, you know, Soto, um, J-Rod, Tatis, you know, they're able to continue that because that is what baseball needs in order to survive and in order to keep growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too. Think about um, our pools. You kind of got into it, you know, being from – the Dominican Republic as well. And yeah. you think about, um, you saw the love affair and kind of like that idolization from Juan Soto um, before before the derbies began and even during, and you saw how much of, of you know, the love affair, whether it was from him, whether it was from Manny Machado, from all these different players that you saw. And then they didn't have to just be Dominican, but you saw how much the love affair was that these players had for Albert Pujols mentioned 3000 hits, you know, he's about 20, 22 homers away from 700, um, you know, and I think it's less than about 15 homers away, but you think about the legacy that he's built in this game and to see it kind of all be, um, see kind of like that first step to letting it all um, be praised for was something that you don't see a lot of times. All right. 
we're going to move on here. We're going to get into, um, let's see. Next year, the All-Star Game will take place in Seattle at T-Mobile Park. Um, so you could see J-Rod win again. Uh, maybe win at home, be like a Todd Frazier um, yeah. in past years, a Bryce Harper when he was in a, uh, Washington, uh, in D.C. for the Nationals. But next year's All-Star Game will take place in Seattle. Could see Julio Rodriguez win the home run derby in his on his home field. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that will take place next year. The logo was unveiled, I think it was yesterday. But we're going to move on now to fair or foul. This week, um, in addition to All-Star Week taking place, the MLB draft also took place. Um, and, Kyle, this is the second year the MLB draft is taking place um, in July. Originally, it took place in June. Um, but you think about the trade deadline just being in a few weeks. Um, Kyle, what's your thoughts on the draft taking place um, during All-Star Week, but just a few weeks before the trade deadline? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's an interesting time to do it. And this all really started because of COVID and and how that impacted everything. Um, Remember back in 2020, they they had it during the summer as well, but it, it was like before the shortened season. I don't even know. Um, but now, obviously, last year we saw this, and now this year, all the same. Um, you know, I'm I'm fine with it. You know, as a baseball fan, I, I think that you know it's it's a little interesting because these teams have to be strategic in how they approach, you know, who they're going to pick, uh, positions of, of need. Um, for example, you, you saw the, the, the Angels take a shortstop um, at number 13 out of Campbell University, Zach Nito. Um, and I, I think that having a guy like that at shortstop or the shortstop of the future is really important because he can hit. And the Angels are now addressing a need that they are seeing firsthand, especially this season. You know, David Fletcher, he was hurt, um, still is hurt. Um, he'll be coming back soon. But obviously, you got to build around that. you got to add some depth. Um, Rendon is always hurt, obviously, on the Angels as well. So um, they address the need of infield. And hopefully, you know, it'll take, you know, two to three years for him to develop, you know, maybe even shorter. And he's going to be, you know, the Angels everyday starter. I mean, you never know. But um, I I think that that's what's important, too. And and also, you you see the Angels take, you know, several right-handed pitchers within uh, the first seven rounds. They took four right-handed pitchers, um, took a left-handed pitcher and an outfielder after that. Um, I, I think that especially for a team like the angels that's this helps them because you're able to see your needs, um, how they can be addressed for the future um, without even going into trade talks and potentially trying to seek, you know, another guy, because at this point uh, angel season is pretty much done. So um, they're looking on just building the future. So I think, you know, for the angels case, um, this is a great thing. Any other team, I don't really know how you approach this. I think maybe you kind of take that same, um, you know, mentality and you, and you apply it to, towards the future, but um, I, I'm fine with it. What do you think? I think ultimately I'm fine with it. You think about some of these high school players, some of these colleges players entering the draft, you know, their seasons are, could still be going, you know, we know the college world series right. goes into late June, um, you know, high school state championships are still going on. Um, 
during the middle of June. So, and you got all these showcases going on before the draft as well. So, oh yeah, I think with with the way high school and college baseball seasons end, I think having that three weeks about three week time, depending how you look at it, uh, from their from that championship game to the draft. I think that gives enough time for the players to be able to take their mind off their teams and get ready for the draft, whether it's through the combine, whether it's through showcases. Um, And two, when you really think about it from a trade deadline perspective, I think it gives scouts and teams um, that possible a little bit more time to think about who another team might want. Um, especially from an early round draft. So if they didn't pick him up, they could get them via trade. And I think that's the interesting aspect uh, from a trade perspective. Yeah. And you, you want to think about the future. It's like, okay, we had our guy, we had an eye on this guy, but this team took him um, two picks before us. If they're a team that they're trying to sell or, you know, that's a, that's a, could be a guy that you have your eye on um, even during as we get closer to the August 2nd trade deadline. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Um, you know, I, I think that they should keep it this way in the future too, because when, when was the draft before this? I mean, I didn't really follow that whole process before 2020 until everything, you know, became unconventional and everything. Yeah. Changed. When did, I'm when was pretty the draft? sure it was like middle of June. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you, you see that pushed back a little later now. And yeah, yeah, I think it's really interesting, especially the draft combine too. You, you see a lot of these players, you know, being scouted by these universities and being recruited, but you know, this draft, you know, giving them the opportunity to, you know, go, go in the pros, you know, before they get to that level. And um, also, you know, being at Petco park this, this yep. year, mm-hmm. um, great venue to have that too, because I mean, you just, saw all these top prospects come in and yeah. perform and um, a great event there. And so I think that if this is the format that they're going to continue with, I, I think it's working. Um, and like you said, I haven't heard many people complain about it either. So I think that they should, you know, kind of ride with this and um, see what has worked, what hasn't worked and, and how they can make it better too. All right, so that was fair or foul, um, bringing back our yes, uh, debatable uh, segment. Uh, we're going to continue. Uh, mentioned the trade deadline is just a few weeks, and one of the hot names on the market is Washington Nationals outfielder Juan Soto, who's mentioned the runner, the champion in the home run derby. And Kyle, what teams could you see make a run for Juan Soto? Man, I, I don't know, man. This is uh, just it, it ultimately comes down to who is willing to give up the package for Juan Soto you know, that, for what he for what he is worth. Um, I have seen potential trades from the Dodgers, um, even from the Philly. I mean, just all these different teams where you're just like, man, if Juan Soto ends up on the Dodgers, it's just like. Obviously, they would have to give up a lot of their core guys, you know, prospects. But man, that would just not be so unfair. Um, I, I, I could see, you know, the Mets as well. Um, they they have a lot of prospects that they could, you know, potentially um, 
ship as a part of a package as well. Um, you could even, you know, Dodgers, like I mentioned before, um, they could use an outfielder there. Um, even the Padres, I, I think really any team in contention that can add a piece of outfield depth, and obviously they're going to have to give something up for him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those teams, you know, make a push for him. Um, Mets, Phillies, Dodgers, um, Padres, you know, even um, a team like the Mariners as well, because Kalanick, who is their top prospect, he could easily be shipped as a part of a package deal. He hasn't panned out the way that they expected him to. And they are right in the thick of things right now. Obviously, you know, that 14 game winning streak, that's an, that makes it an appealing de- uh, trade destination as well. So I think, you know, really any contending team where he can go and they can extend his deal, man, I think there's a lot of different possibilities, a lot of different outlets. And honestly, I don't know if he is going to be dealt, but if he is, it's going to be to a contender. Mm-hmm. Uh, Juan Soto on his contract, uh, he has two more years of arbitration, uh, 2023 and 2024 before he becomes a free agent in 2025. And when you think about the type of long-term contract that you're probably going to give to Juan Soto, it's probably going to be somewhere in the ballpark of Mike Trout, if not higher. Yeah. When you really think about it, you know, close to a half of a billion dollars on that contract. And it's a matter of, is that team not only going to be able to give up probably four or five of their top 10 prospects. Yep. Plus a major league ready player, whether that those prospects include that and be willing to give Juan Soto close to $500 million. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And when you think about Juan Soto, man, he just, his swing is so pure and it's unbelievable. He is, pretty much the same age as both of us, Revan. It's crazy. And so when you, when you have a, a once-in-a-generation kind of talented player like that, I mean, I'm not just saying like once-in-a-generation. Obviously, there's guys like, you know, J-Rod, Tontis, like we, we already talked about. But, I mean, you, you have to go for it in the situation, especially if you're in a situation where you're in contention and you're taking that win-now approach or even within the next – year or two i mean it's it's going to be all worth it in the end because it's one soto i mean you're someone's got to get him out of washington that's all i know <laughs> mm-hmm. and two you you mentioned that the type of talent that he's got you know it's a we think about some of these players that have played this game before him and we see these exact numbers that he's put on he's on track for three thousand hits and 500 home runs we think about and you think about those Hall of Famers. Um, think about like I think I think the number one player, number one former player that's being com- that has that is comparison to Juan Soto. I'm pretty sure they said Mickey Mantle. Yep. And we know the numbers, and we know the history that he's had that Mickey Mantle's had, and you see Juan Soto right there. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it's. Uh... It's going to be a saga until August 2nd, I'll tell you that. And like I mentioned before, we, we might not see him end up anywhere until you mm-hmm. know, the offseason. Um, yeah. Maybe the Nationals don't like you know the trade offers and um, 
think that these teams aren't giving up enough, but you got to think there's going to be one team that will give up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Padres, their second half expectations. Um, We're also going to give you a Fernando Tatis Jr. update, the Angels as well, Um, their second half goals. um, Maybe talk some more Shohei Otani as well. We're going to get into some NBA. No update on Kevin Durant yet, but there's some other NBA news in the desert. We're going to also talk some Madden rankings um, for for Madden 23. Um, We're going to get into trivia where Kyle is on the block that will come um, up after our break here on it down the line. up everyone and welcome back to the second half of down the line i am kyle betts joined by brad and honda uh it's currently around 10 45 on saturday july 23rd again this is episode 58 recording this on a saturday morning here um on the west coast and um we already got into some uh sports news and the fast five rundown real quick um got into some recent mlb news including the all-star game and all-Star Week recap, talked a little bit of the Home Run Derby, um, also talked some MLB draft and Juan Soto's trade case. But now we're going to get into some Padres. And we all know that the Padres are in a prime position to, you know, continue making that push for the postseason. Big series this weekend on the road against the Mets. Um, they play today at 410. Um, last night, uh, Padres taking a 4-1 victory over the Mets. And uh, you saw a couple RBIs from Eric Hosmer, which is great. Um, Two-run shot. Yeah, absolutely. You Darvish has been stellar, and you saw that as well. Nine strikeouts from him in seven innings. Um, and you saw Scherzer get eight strikeouts as well. But mm-hmm. um, obviously uh, those two runs being uh, a big part of that Padres win. But – Let's talk a little bit, Brevin, about the Padres' second-half goals um, before we get into um, the recent upcoming schedule. Um, when, when you think about how the first half went, we talked about it in the last couple shows as well. Um, what do you think the goals for the Padres are being in the current position that they're in? I think it's just, you know, just continue to play the way this team knows how to play. And we saw – earlier in April and May. We saw flashes. We saw what last night could bring. Um, and we saw that back in April and May. And I think it's being able to realize that now as we get into August and get into September. We know this team isn't probably going to win the division being 10 and a half games back because the Giants aren't helping right now. Yeah. But yep. this this Padres team, they still hold that second mod card spot. 
Um, they would, I think it'd be preferable to have that top wild card spot to, to overtake the Atlanta Braves um, because then you would host that wild card round. So with the new playoff format. So I think that's the goal in the second half is to be that top team in the wild card. Um, but when you think about a player's perspective and you saw the way Eric Hosmer did last night, you saw his double in his home run. A big part of that was because of his approach and going the other way. And that's going to be key for the Padres as well. Yeah, I think, you know, that's really important too. The Padres, uh, they're needing some help right now from the Angels as they are uh, currently playing the Braves in a series. And we're going to get into that in a couple minutes as well. But um, definitely Padres looking to get to that um, first wild card spot. Um, and also, Brevin, we saw Ben Woods from the morning show on 97.3 FM in San Diego. Uh, they were talking uh, this week about if you could have one Padres player uh, play up to their best potential throughout the second half and take your chances on everyone else, who would that be? Um, a very, you know, hypothetical question, but it's interesting, Brevin. Who do you want to see perform their best in the second half? I think for me, I think about all these the Padres who have underperformed. I think you could put Eric Hosmer, especially how he fell off from uh, after – I think it was Mother's Day or something like that. You could put yeah. um, Blake Snell because of the record that he's got. You could put um, – who else could you put that makes? Eric Hosmer. Um, I mentioned, you know, Blake Snell in addition to Mike Clevin just because of the volume they, they didn't have um, compared to some of those other pitchers in the rotation. But – the name that I think stands out isn't any of those. I think it's more because of Trent Grisham. Yeah. Um, and we saw we saw glimpses in the past, not just yesterday, not just this season, not just since he's been a Padre, but we've seen glimpses of when he when Trent Grisham is really great. And we know, you know, being a gold glove center fielder, you know, and to see him hit like under 200 so far this year. I think he's got the opportunity to do that. You could easily put Fernando Tatis Jr. in this conversation as well, just because yeah, we know how good Fernando plays. But I think we 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 can take our chance on Fernando just because of how good he is and the MVP caliber player that he is. So I'm gonna take Trent Grisham here. We know defense is there. Um, you know, obviously winning a gold glove speaks for that. You know, and so if that offense comes into play, you know, that Trent Grisham will solidify that spot uh, in that lineup. And it's just a matter of where it is in that lineup, whether it's at the top of the lineup and leading off, he still wants to lead off or it's at the bottom of the lineup and he sees better pitches. Yeah. It's a really good name. Um, haven't seen him put up numbers that we have expected to see from him, but you also bring up Fernando and we're going to get into that a little bit right now too. Um, a little bit of an update on his status, obviously uh, returning from injury. Yesterday was reported from multiple sources that Todd Tease Jr. has been hitting in the cage at a 95 to 100% rate. So his A swing, um, he, he's doing flip drills, experiencing no pains during and after his hitting. Um, he was talking to the media as well. And he said, uh, feel, feels like he can see the light at the tunnel right now. Not getting any setbacks, feeling pretty good. Um, 
So that is absolutely encouraging uh, for San Diego as well. You know, the prospect of him returning to that lineup is going to, you know, do nothing but great things. Yeah, and you, you, we just talked about it. We, we understand how much of an impact he's been, you know, being top five in the MVP voting over the last couple of years, um, still two silver sluggers past couple of years. And that tells you how much of an impact that he's going to have in the lineup, let alone in the field. Yeah, we know he's going to make errors, just, and that's just the style that he plays at. But you understand how much, like I mentioned, how much of an impact that he has in that lineup where the slugging for this entire team hasn't been what we've wanted, um, even though it started to come. We saw it last night with Eric Cosmer and Trent Grisham both hitting home runs. Um Going into the All-Star break, we saw Luke Voigt hitting some homers, um, you know, and you see um, that home run aspect. I'm uh, hoping that picks up uh, within the next few weeks. Yeah, with, you know, the potential prospect of him returning soon. Um, do you see any potential trades that go down within the organization as well? Because, um there's a lot of different things that could happen between not only the Padres, but all the other clubs in the MLB. But um, do you think moves need to be addressed within the pitching staff lineup or even both? I think so. Um, obviously there's been a lot of names being connected to the Padres in addition to Juan Soto. It's not starting pitching um, unlike years past, which is a good yeah. sign of, how good your starting pitching is. And you've got, you can go seven deep with Nick Martinez and Mackenzie Gore, who are both starting in the bullpen here in yeah. the second half. But you think about, you know, maybe a bullpen piece. Um, not sure who that is, but um, that could be an option to help solidify. And especially when you don't know who from injury could come back, whether it's Drew Pomeranz, whether it's Jose Castillo, whether it's, Michelle Baez, we've seen Adrian Morty home come back, you know, Pierce Johnson, um, a lot of injured names from that bullpen that you could see. So if they know the clarity from the injuries, you put Robert Suarez into that mix, you know, as well. And you could see the possibility of the Padres going after a bullpen arm if need be. Um, we see Wilson Contreras be connected to the Padres to, to elevate the catching aspect, even though it's from – from just looking from the outside, you think it might be a good move, but from the inside, there's so many little moves that go with go into that in terms of learning an entire rotation, learning an entire uh, entirely new pitching coach. Um, so those go into that when acquiring a catcher midseason. Um, and we mentioned outfield, and that's where Juan Soto comes into play. So I think those are the three biggest positions, I would say, it would be outfield, um, bullpen and catching probably in that order. Mm. Well, we will have to wait and see. Yeah, yeah. I'm not AJ Preller. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see what moves they end up making. Um, let's switch gears and talk some angels here now, uh, unfortunately. Um, I guess in regards to uh, current playoff positioning, Honestly, I, I have not even checked uh, the standings. I don't think I've had a reason to. 
because the Angels keep losing and losing and losing and uh, seems like they'll never win again. And they're four and 14 since the brawl. I think maybe that could even be four and 15 now with yesterday's loss to the Braves. Um, and I, I think all of us Angels fans collectively around this country uh, thought that, you know, the brawl could be a turning point. Instead, it was the exact opposite, or it didn't do anything at all because uh, it's just no production from anyone on this team. And it's interesting because right now, technically, you know, the Angels are not too far behind of the wildcard spot. I mean, it's, it's still possible, but I, I've given up hope. My, my hope is now down the drain. They're one and nine in their last 10. They've lost four in a row. And um, yeah, it, it's just, it, it's a sad time to be an Angels fan for sure. Um, I know that, you know, these past couple of weeks we talked about, oh, potential trades that could go down. I don't think you trade anyone. Maybe you trade Syndergaard away, but I think at this point, that's your best asset because, you know, at this rate with the wild card looking bleak, you know, barring a complete miracle, I don't, I don't think anything changes, um, you know, to this point because we've seen this lineup go through so many different phases. Um, Phil Gosselin, who was a Brave earlier this year, he was an Angel last year as well. He's now back on the Angels and he's playing. And I love the Goose. He, he plays hard. He plays with enthusiasm. But having a guy like that is not going to win you ball games. And then Dylan Thomas as well. We saw him get called up, I think, last season, even maybe the year before. And he's a minor leaguer. He's not producing at a major league level. And I said this all throughout, you know, the past couple of weeks. It's pretty much, you know, three or four, you know, pretty good, solid players, including Shohei and, and Mike Trout, and then a bunch of minor leaguers. And I, I really do, I really do stand by that because they can't hit the ball. It's, it's astounding how this team started off so hot and then fell off so quickly. I saw a tweet just about half an hour ago when it was posted from John Rosie from MLB Network. Ready for this, Kyle? Yeah. According to his sources, MLB teams are calling the Angels to express trade interest in Shohei Otani. But... The Angels are indicating that they have no plans to move the superstar before the August 2nd trade deadline. Yeah, um, I doubt Artie would ever trade him or Mike Trout. Um, Obviously, Trout has a no-trade clause that could be voided at any time, but Shohei, yeah. I mean, if they were up to me, I would say let them go. End their pain. They deserve to be in a contender. But... Artie would never do that. And so I think for that reason, Shohei's going to remain an angel through next year. Um, Trout as well. I, I just don't know how you address the needs of this team because it seems like there are too many at this point. And, you know, it's tough to watch because um, when, you, when you have, you know, your, your top prospect and Joe Adele who just still can't catch a fly ball and your other top prospect, Brandon Marsh, he can't hit a baseball. It's, it's really sad. It's really sad because you, you see 
the potential that this team has. Um, and it's just not working out. And I don't know. I, I don't think you make a trade um, at this point, even though as much as I want to spare Shohei and spare Mike Trout of this pain, um, I don't think it'll happen. They're going to stay an angel and um, ultimately would not be surprised if we end up, you know, right alongside with the A's when it's all said and done. Right alongside with the A's, even though you got Mike Trout. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying that, Brevin. I can't believe it. <laughs> it it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I gave up about a month ago and, and it, it's funny. You can, you can hear how my tone has changed within like each episode and, and very, very lamenting as this. Yeah. Season yeah. And, and how I talk about this team and Brevin, I, I think I'm just in an endless cycle of pain because all of my teams just can't win. <laughs> <sighs> it, it's uh, really sad two MVPs on the team. And, you know, I, I had this conversation at work too with, you know, especially with guys who don't watch baseball as often as I do, or, or don't follow it as closely. They're like, like, how, how was, how does this happen? You know, they have two of the best players in the world and, and they just can't win. Well, when you don't have a solid core around you, you're not going to be able to do anything. And I, I really do believe most, most of these players in this lineup are minor leaguers because they just can't hit the baseball. And, it seems like the Angels can only score one run a game, if that. Yeah. I think for me, I think the thing that I see with the Angels, I think it the big thing is starting pitching. And yeah. when you see contenders out there, you see how important starting pitching is. You see, whether you see the Dodgers, you see Clayton Kershaw, you see Walker Bueller, Tony Gonsolin this year, you see, um, you know, the Brewers, Carbon Burns, Brandon Woodruff, uh, Freddie Peralta went healthy. Uh, you look at the Yankees with Garrett Cole and you see all these different pitchers. You see Luis Garcia, you see um, Justin Verlander. You see how much starting pitching is a value to them. And I think that's kind of one of the setbacks you see with this Angels team is they don't have those big name starting pitchers. Yeah, not at all. And, you know, expected to see Patrick Sandoval take that next step and get even better. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen the back end of the rotation do anything right. You know, especially in these past two months. And even last night, man, Shohei Otani, six of the strongest innings you'll ever see him pitch 11 strikeouts. And then he goes out for the seventh, and he gives up six and, you know, just a couple mistakes. And, you know, it's just one guy can't do it all, especially when it's a zero zero ball game heading into the seventh inning and you have your ace out there, get the man some help, get the other man, Mike Trout, get him some help too. Um, and you know, names that I haven't even brought up, uh, Jared Walsh and Taylor Ward. I mean, they're still producing too. Um, not taking away from anything that they've done. Um, Jared Walsh, he's kind of had a down year at the plate, but I mean, he's still getting hits and, Taylor Ward, he think he's batting like 286 right now. So he, he's been, you know, everything that we expected him to be. But it's just everyone else just can't seem to do anything right. And Phil Nevin is continuing to make questionable decisions. And um, it, 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 this is probably, you know, up there with, you know, one of the biggest failed experiments of all time in, in baseball. I mean, you have two MVPs on the same team and – who knows if they're going to reach 70, 75 wins? Who knows? 
All right, we're going to keep you updated as the Angels continue to lament, lament their 22 season, but um, we're going to move on to some NBA. There's still no update on Kevin Durant. Who knows whether even if he's going to be traded now also could include Kyrie in that discussion. Um, but there's news out of the desert of a move being made, and that is with their head coach, Monty Williams, signing a contract extension to remain in Phoenix. Yeah, this is a really nice move from the Suns. Um, Monty Williams, you know, that contract extension this morning seems like he's going to be there for several more years, according to the report from Wojnarowski of ESPN. And um, yeah, this has been a really big offseason for them. You know, signing Booker to that Supermax, you keep DeAndre Ayton. Um, and now, you know, Monty Williams, who is not only just a great coach, but a great person, he has. Uh, his philosophy of the game is really unlike any other. And, and he's up there, you know, top five coaches in the league, maybe the top three at this point. I mean, he's fantastic. So um, no better leader for that franchise uh, than Monty Williams. And I think that's really important um, for the Suns to keep that sort of a uh, core uh, group for the future, because, you know, still ended up in the finals last year. So I think, you know, anything can happen. Monty Williams, coach of the year, helped the Suns get to the number one overall seed in the playoffs before losing to the Mavericks. Um, that'd be a key thing to watch and how well this team's able to rebound from their quote unquote early exit uh, from last year's playoffs. All right, we're going to move on to some football. We're going to talk some Madden 23 as ratings um, continue to be, um, continue to be, uh, unveiled daily um i think all the rankings are out it looks like right now yeah Um, it's weird they have uh tried to push out you know a position group every day or maybe even one or two and um i've been seeing stuff on social media where i'm like is this real is it fake like i I don't know what's going on but um you always gotta love getting into these rankings because uh sometimes it makes you question if you could be a Madden talent evaluator yourself. <laughs> there are five players in the 99 club, but just one offensive player from those five. And that's Devontae Adams, the new Raider. Um, he's a 99. you got Aaron Donald is a 99. Miles Garrett is a 99. And Trent Williams from San Francisco, he's also a 99. Yeah, we kind of talked about this in our Twitter group chat, Brevin. And I am a huge proponent of uh supporter of tj watt um tying the sacks record i think he mm-hmm. even he missed the game as well he missed half of one too because he got hurt but the, the fact that he is what a 96 a 90 i think 96 or 97 and miles garrett's a 99 obviously miles garrett is incredible talent and we all know that he is just such a disruptive force I just don't know how you can rate that guy over TJ Watt after the season that TJ Watt had, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. Who, who am I to, to judge? <laughs> TJ Watt is in 96. 96. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even say flip those rankings. I wouldn't even go that far. I would just probably have TJ at like a 97 and maybe miles Garrett as a 96. I mean, just <laughs> did miles get the 99 because he can dunk. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> It's just, if you compare the stats, um, obviously there's so much more beyond that that happens in the trenches too, but 
he's a TJ Watts, a defensive player of the year for a reason, you know? Mm-hmm. I was amazed that there's only one offensive player with a 99. Yeah. Yeah. Devonte Adams. And then also Trent Williams, Trent Williams being on the line. Yeah. Uh-huh. On the line. Mm-hmm. Trent Williams, absolutely deserving of 99. He is, yeah. he's one of my favorite players to watch. No doubt. He will lock you up pass rush. You know, if, if he's run blocking, it doesn't matter. He is going to completely stalemate you at the line. Yep. He's bigger. He's faster. And I love the O-line. And I'm so glad that he got that honor because I don't think we've ever seen a 99 on the O-line before. Yeah, it's hard to hard to look back and see any 99s. All right, Kyle, one, which position do we want to take a look at first in terms of uh, these rankings? Yeah, you bring up Devontae Adams. Let's get into wide receivers first because mm-hmm. this is pretty interesting as well. Um, Devontae Adams being a part of the 99 club. Yeah, I think that's – he's very deserving. He Two-time is, All-Pro. Yeah. He, reigning two-time All-Pro. He can beat anyone one-on-one. He can beat a double team. His footwork, his, his uh, jump ball, you know, body control. It's just he's the perfect wide receiver. He's the perfect fit. And seeing him play with Derek Carr again is going to be a lot of fun. As much as I'm going to hate watching that, I'm also going to love it. <laughs> also in the top 10, you got Cooper Cup at 98. Uh, Tyreek Hill in a new uh, organization, 97. He's in Miami. DeAndre Hopkins, even with a six-game suspension, is 96. Stefan Diggs, 95. Justin Jefferson, 93. Mike Evans, 92. Terry McLaurin and Keenan Allen, both 91. And to round out the top 10 is Amari Cooper at 90. Yeah, I like Cup with a 98 rating. Um, obviously, you know, his yards after catch is, is the best in the league. Um, and we all know that, you know, his footwork, his route running is unprecedented. It, it, you can't compare it to anyone else as well. But at the same time, you know, he doesn't have the size that Devontae Adams has. And, uh, you know, he's – Despite him, you know, winning the Super Bowl and being a big part of their run to get there, um, I still think Devontae Adams is is worthy of being in 99 and, and Cup in 98. I think it's fitting. I, I'm not too, you know, pressed about that, if you will. Um, and then, you know, going down this list, I, I think it all, you know, it, it's all very accurate in terms of uh, the best receivers in this league. Love Scary Terry at the eighth spot at, with a 91 rating. Amari Cooper being a 90 overall, yeah, I, I don't know how to feel about that, but otherwise, I like these rankings. Also at 90 is Michael Thomas and Tyler Lockett. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know about Michael Thomas because we haven't seen him play in like two years, so mm-hmm. I who knows if he's going to live up to that, um, but I, I like those rankings too. Just outside the 90 rankings, uh, Mike's right receivers at 89 is Chris Godwin, DK Metcalf, and uh, Debo Samuel. Yeah, maybe Debo could have been a little higher mm-hmm. um, because he can do anything on the football field as well. Um, put him put him anywhere, and, and he's going to make you miss. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he could have been a little higher. I'm also surprised C.D. Lamb's not in that list uh, as well. Yeah, CD Lamb. Let's see if I can find it. Like, not even the top 15. CD Lamb was 85. C. 
seems a little bit low. I, I think he could have been, yeah. he could have been maybe like a, at least an 87, 88, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this is his uh, year to prove him wrong. And we all know how these athletes, how they uh, react to these ratings when they're released on Twitter. So mm-hmm. hopefully uh, he's able to take that and, and get better and motivate him, I guess. <laughs> The players also with C.D. Lamb at 85 are Deontay Johnson and uh, Raiders running uh, uh, Raiders wide receiver Hunter Renfro. Interesting. They they put them at the same rating. Yeah, I know. I know Deontay Johnson. The potential's there, but we just and he he had a few good plays last year, but he also had a uh, noodle arm quarterback in, in Ben Roethlisberger in his final year. So we didn't really get to see him, you know, take a lot of deep shots to Deontay Johnson. Hopefully we're able to see more of that this year too. All right. We move on to the running backs or as Madden calls it, the halfback. Um, You've got uh, Derek Henry up top at 97, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, both at 96, Jonathan Taylor, 95, Dalvin Cook, 94, Joe Mixon, 93, Alvin Kamara, 90, uh, and to round out the top 10, Aaron Jones, 89, and Austin Eckler, 88. Yeah, I think Eckler, he could have been a 90, and I think Kamara could have been a little higher too. Uh, Also, McCaffrey being the second highest running back, I don't know. We all know that he can be versatile. He can, you know, be the pass catching back. He can run through guys too, but I mean, he's just been so injury prone over the last couple of seasons. We haven't been able to really see him that much as well. So uh, who knows, maybe he'll prove me wrong this year as well, but um, I feel like those could have been adjusted a little better as well. Kyle, what do you think about Nick Chubb being there um, at number three? I like that. I, I like it because he's kind of shown that, you know, the, the Browns, they do have a good O-line, but at the same time, you know, that tandem of him and Kareem Hunt and Cleveland, it's worked, and um, he runs really hard. And I, I like I like him at that rating, even if it's, you know, maybe a rating or two higher than where he should be. Um, I think he, he's earned it. Mm-hmm. We saw the emergence of Jonathan Taylor last year. Yes. Um, do you, do you think he was a little bit low at 95? Do you think he could have been higher? Well, I don't know. I think after his first year, um, obviously he, he did win the rushing title, but mm-hmm. um, I, I think 95 is fair for after a first season. You could argue maybe he should have replaced Trump and McCaffrey and you know flip-flop those ratings, but I don't know. I, I like him at 95. I think you know this is his year to kind of – Back up what he did uh, last season. Yep. Also at number uh, one player I didn't get to that's in the top 10. They're at the bottom of the list top, uh, with an 88 rating with Austin Eckler um, is Dallas Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about that one just because <laughs> we, he just had such a down year last year that I wonder what his rating was in Madden 22. I don't, I don't know exactly what it was, but I'm assuming it was probably like a 92 or 93. So, I mean, maybe like a four or five rating decrease makes sense for Zeke. But, I mean, it's still a little surprising he's in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Okay. We move on. We're going to stay on the offense. We're going to go to quarterbacks here. And 
Tom Brady's up top. Um, Kyle, is that what you were expecting? No, this is this is just uh, Madden favoritism, you know, showing. It's coming out, and we, and we can't escape from it. Uh, Aaron Rodgers should be the top quarterback. He won, he won MVP. Um, and that's not to take away from Brady at age 96 or whatever he is. But, yeah, I, I think the MVP should be in that top spot at 97 overall. So I think Brady, man, I don't know. He, he probably should have been like a 94. I don't know. It's – Two ratings away from 99 at age, what is he, 45 or whatever he is now? Um, Feels like it. Yeah, something like that, 44, 45, I don't know. But, yeah, it, it's a little high. <laughs> uh, Tom Brady is a 97, does have a 99 awareness rating. Yeah. Um, so when you look that. at some of these specific categories, um, Brady does lead that category. Yeah, he's – and that makes sense. He's, he's so good in the pocket, and he's making reads at the line scrimmage all the time. and. Um, yeah, I would probably just switch Brady and Rodgers at the very least, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll, we'll get into a couple of these other quarterbacks too. Mm-hmm. So below Brady and Rodgers, uh, one, two, you got Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Mahomes is a 95, then drops after that. Allen is a 92. Joe yep. Burrow is a 90, uh, yep, helped like the that. Bengals get to the Super Bowl last year. Dak Prescott is an 89, Justin Herbert, 88. Uh, and then you got Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson at 87. And to round out the top 10, you got Matthew Stafford at 85. Uh, to be honest, a solid quarterback list. I'll give him that. Uh, you could argue that maybe Lamar could have been a rating or two higher. Um, really, the only issues that I have in this list is obviously Brady being one, even though he is the GOAT. Um, you got to have the MVP above him. And then – Matt Stafford at number 10 with an yeah. 85. I, I don't know about that. He just he just won the Super Bowl. He was he was Super throwing, Bowl MVP. He was throwing no look passes in the Super Bowl. How was he an 85? I understand he's like 34 at this point of his career, but man, I don't I don't I don't get that. I don't get that. I think for me, I think it I think Justin Herbert could be a little bit higher. Yeah, even that too. Even like even put him at the 89 with Dak Prescott. Yeah, with Jack Prescott or even above Jack Prescott too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, those are. In case you're wondering who is just below Matthew Stafford, you got Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray at 84, <laughs> and then Derek Carr and Ryan Tannehill at 83, um, and then Matt Ryan 81 and Kirk Cousins 80. Yeah. Um... Man, you can even put Matt Ryan a couple ratings higher than 81, man. Uh, Derek Carr, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just a – I'm a big Derek Carr fan, even though I'm a Raider hater, as, as uh, people would say. And you a know. non-Fresno State fan, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you got to love Derek Carr, who he is as a player, and also a person, even though it doesn't have to do with his Madden rating. But, I mean, just – I think he's going to prove people wrong this year with the talent that they've added on that roster and uh, trying to get that O-line a little better than it has been. I think this is chance because what is he? 83. Yeah. He should definitely be at least 85. All right. We're going to move on to defense, stay in the skill positions. We're going to go to cornerbacks and leading that list of cornerbacks is Jalen Ramsey. Kyle thoughts on Jalen Ramsey receiving 98. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he talks a big game, but he plays one too. So 
Um, him in that spot, you know, with that contract that he has, and uh, you see him year in and year out just locking up the wide receiver ones, whoever he's lining up against. It's just, yeah, he, he, he should definitely be number one. Maybe 98 might be a little too high. You can argue he could be a 96, 97 instead, but yeah, he, he's the top corner in the league for sure. Um, below Jalen Ramsey, you've got uh, Jair Alexander at 94. Love that. Jadavious White. Um, who's uh, recovering from, I think, a torn ACL. He's a 93 from the Buffalo Bills. You got Darius Slade Jr. at 92 with Denzel Ward. Marshawn Lattimore's a 91. Uh, JC Jackson and Marlon Humphrey are both 90. And then to round out the top 10, you got AJ Terrell Jr. at 89. Yeah, I think as a collective, this is the best list that we're going to go over. I don't necessarily know how Stephon Gilmore played with the Panthers last year, but I'm assuming pretty well because their defense was rock solid. I mean, they couldn't move the football at all on offense, but their defense was there. I mean, you got him, you had Brian Burns, and now Stephon Gilmore is on the Colts. So um, he's going to add to that uh, DB room. And yeah, I think AJ Terrell, you, you had to have him in that top 10, especially after what he did last year, just a sensational you're all around. Um, so I think this is a really solid list. Also at 89, um, you got Kendall Fuller and Xavier Howard. Okay. Uh, from Miami. Oh, wow. Xavier Howard. I forgot about that name. Yep. Yeah, I, I guess he had a down year. I just, wow. I mean, it seems like every year he's been in that top 10, but mm-hmm. um, interesting. And then his teammate Byron Jones is at 87, just below Xavier Howard. Interesting. Uh, do they have uh, the Broncos' top corner on there? I, I'm assuming it's Sertan, but Patrick Sertan, 83. 83. Okay, I, I thought above, that was just above Trayvon Diggs at 84. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I thought. I thought you know maybe Sertan could have been a little higher, like like an 85. But yeah, this is this is another proven year. I mean, he played well for Denver last year, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's see. About an hour, a little bit after an hour, our show. Any other ratings you want to go? Any positions you want to go over, Hal? Um, I guess we can maybe even go over linebackers if if you want to, real quick. All right, let's go over some linebackers. Might as well. Um, right? We'll get into trivia after that. Yeah, we've we've gotten to like the skill positions, but I, I like going over linebackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me find it real quickly. Yeah, the, these lists, man. It's uh, it's always fun to kind of talk about, and then mm-hmm. you see them in the game, and uh, it's just such a big part of what football season and, and the preparation what goes into that. So, I mean, it's just these Madden rankings every year. Uh, you, you see the fake ratings on Twitter and, and people bring out these like hyper hypocritical reactions to the ratings. It, it's a fun time. It really is. And I'm, I'm excited for the new Madden too. I think, uh, I don't know if it's going to be cross platform for like consoles or anything like that, you know, different consoles, but yeah, I'm, I bought it every year and I'll probably buy it again, even though it makes me rage sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, here we go. Let me pull this up. I don't I don't know if you could ever make a perfect list by the way on these two because it's just 
with all these talent evaluators and, and ratings adjusters, like how do you collectively come to a decision and say, okay, we're going to make Alvin Kamara a 90 overall. Like you could, you could argue he could be a 93, just like Joe Mixon. You know, I just, that's what mm-hmm. I'm interested in to see like how these guys come up with these ratings. Like how do they ultimately decide? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people involved in the process. So I just, I don't know. I, I want to uh, interview the head of EA Sports or something, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you got Fred Warner, 94, DeMario Davis, 93. Wow, okay. Levante David, 92, Bobby Wagner, 91, Darius Leonard, 90, Roquan, uh, Roquan Smith, 89. At 88, you got Michael Parsons and Eric Kendricks. Um, 87 for Devondre Campbell and Devin White is 85. Yeah. Um, I think in this list, we saw Devin White get disrespected. Um, I think even too Darius Leonard, I think those guys, Devin White, I don't know, bump that rating up way up. He should be like 89. Darius Leonard should be within the top three. I think you mentioned he's in the top five. Uh, he should be top three. No doubt. I mean, just the every single year you see Darius Leonard make an all pro team or, or pro bowl or whatever. And he's just, he's the most vocal leader on that field. And he has to be for the Colts and um, their roster. I, I'm been a big lover of that roster ever since, you know, last season. Um, so he, he's a big part of that. He should be higher. Devin white. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't know how, they give him an 85. Like, what do they use to give him that rating? Um, he's so fast on the field. He's going to pass coverage. He can meet you at the at the line of scrimmage, uh, full speed. He can take any guy out. He's not getting. He's not ever getting run over. Like, it's, that's why they drafted him so high. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a solid list, but beyond those two guys um, in the ratings that they have, Demario Davis at 93. He, he's older. He's older, but I, I kind of like that rating. Um, he's the leader of that defense. Uh, he's been the captain there for a minute, and he's uh, going into his age 33 season. So this is uh, probably the back half of his career. But, I mean, I, I think we're expecting all the same from that same defense. Mm-hmm. All right. We are going to move on to trivia now. Um, as you know, the NFL season is just about to kick off with all – teams going into training camp kyle and i was thinking about what i want to do here and i was like let's do nfl teams with the uh, highest winning percentage since the nfl merger in 1970 we'll just do the top five okay since the nfl merger 1970 okay um highest winning percentage i think I might have seen this on Twitter the other day, but I just like scrolled by, just scrolled past no. it. Uh, Packers got to be one of them, right? Uh, they are not. Really? Okay. Steelers they got the most. I think they got w- the most wins. I think or something like that. Oh, wow. not the most winning percentage. Oh, that's that's dumb. That's really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, Steelers. Yeah, there you go. Steelers are the top team. Six fourteen winning percentage. Uh, five wins away from 500 wins since the NFL merger, 495 wins, and then 310 losses with four ties. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Man, this is 
I know that the Steelers are always up there. They're always going to contend. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Tomlin's above 500 every year. Um, man, this is a little tough. Uh, I'm trying to think of teams that have, you know, been historically very good. You know, always seem to end up in in a playoff contention. Uh, Patriots. Yep, they are number three. Uh, five seventy six winning percentage, a four sixty six and three forty three record. Man, um, this might be a little bit of a wild guess, but the Saints. Nope, not the Saints. The okay. Saints are. The Saints have a four seventy seven. Okay. Win percentage since the NFL merger in 1970. Interesting, interesting. Um, the Niners? The Niners, no. They've got a 548 percentage with the Green Bay Packers. Oh, wow. um, 441 and 364 is the Niners record. Man, this is uh, – I don't even know. Um I don't. I don't think Denver would be on that list. So Denver's probably like top seven or something. Um, man, I'm just kind of thinking out loud right now. This is really tough, man. Um, Cow- yeah, I not probably not the. Cow- I'll say it. Cowboys. The Cowboys are in the top five. Cowboys okay, are number I was two. Say, because all their wins. If you're talking, if you're talking about the merger, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. That's the 70s, that's the 80s, and that's where it all came from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they are second on this list with a 582 winning percentage, the second best, with 471 wins with 338 losses. Okay, so I need to get... Uh, four and five. Four and five. They are both AFC teams, I'll give you that. All right, all right, interesting. Uh, man, this is tough. I kind of want to say might be a little far-fetched, but the Chiefs? Nope. The Chiefs, um, they have a 523 winning percentage just behind the Packers and the Niners. All right. Good guess, though. Yeah, that's not bad, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, Colts? Or did I already say Colts? Uh, You did not. The Colts are not in the top five. They have a 508 winning percentage. 410 and 397 uh, is their record. Man, I'm getting all these teams above 500, but I just can't find the ones that are above that uh, level. Um, this is really tough, dude. The uh, lowest winning percentage in the top five is a 567 winning percentage. Man, that's crazy. Um, this is really tough. Uh, Baltimore? Baltimore, they're just outside the top five. They are number six, uh-huh. uh, five sixty winning percentage. Um, they have played Uh-oh. half the game number of games compared to the top five. They played just four hundred seventeen games compared to the top five playing eight hundred nine games. Their record is two thirty three and one eighty three for that five sixty winning percentage. All right, I'm gonna go with the Broncos. Yep, there you go. They are number five. Okay. Uh, they got a 567 winning percentage, 456 wins, just compared to 347 losses. I was kind of second guessing myself because I'm just yes. like, mm-hmm. like, we're probably close, but I wasn't sure. So along okay. with six ties. There you go. Um, one more. Uh, Raiders. The Raiders are not in here. The Raiders. Right. Um. 
Let me see where they go. They have a 515 winning percentage. Okay. Uh, 414 and 389. Dude, I, yeah, I don't know, man. Six ties. Uh, um, team that I play for is a Hall of Fame quarterback that he's known for. I don't uh, know if that helps, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, man, this is really tough. Just, just give it to me. I, I'm, I'm going to do right. this all day. So the final team was the Miami Dolphins, so seeing Great. Dan Marino there. Okay. Wow. Um, 571 winning percentage, 461 wins compared to 346 losses. Yeah, I would not have got that, but, I mean, it, that was a really good hint that I should have picked mm-hmm. up on. Um, mm-hmm. Never won a Super Bowl, right? So, I mean, nope. won, won a lot of games, but couldn't win the big ones. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. They were they were always really good back then. Um so yeah, I I just I kind of wanted to guess the Dolphins, but I was like, there's no there's no way, right? Like, you know, like this. and I mean, I guess it's I've only thought of it during the perspective of our lifetimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that, that's probably why I, I didn't want to guess them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the Seahawks are have a five seventeen winning percentage. Okay, uh, three seventy four and three fifty is their record. Uh, the Washington football team, they're above 500 as well with the LA Rams. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Teams below 500? Teams below 500. You got the Bears, the Titans, the Saints, the Bills, Saints. Chargers. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chargers, Panthers, Giants. Yep. Bengals, Falcons, Texans. Yep. Cardinals, Jets, Jaguars, and Browns, Lions, and uh, believe it or not, the Buccaneers have the yeah. lowest record or lowest winning percentage since the merger. Yeah, I knew the Bucks. Man, they they were just terrible for years and years and years. And uh, yeah, that makes sense. I I think yeah, Saints is probably the most surprising. But again, I probably have only thought of that from the perspective of our lifetime, like Drew Brees, whatever. Um, very interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is trivia. So the Steelers have the best winning percentage, followed by the Cowboys, the Patriots, the Dolphins, and the Broncos round out the top five of the best winning percentages since 1978, the NFL uh, merger. Interesting, yeah. Pretty good. I, I got four. took a lot of guesses to get four, but, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's all right. <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for this week of our episode of down the line uh we talked some madden rankings we uh kind of got a little preview of what to expect here for the nfl 2022 season we'll talk some more nfl as we get closer some fantasy football as well we talked some baseball we did some fair foul talking about the mlb draft taking place uh in conjunction with all-star week we talked about julio rodriguez winning the home run derby we talked about his runner up uh, involving trade discussions in Juan Soto. We got into our Fast Five involving Team USA Women's Soccer, the Hall of Fame class being inducted uh, tomorrow in Cooperstown, Kyla Murray's contract extension, the Rams receiving their Super Bowl rings, and last night's 28-5 beating at Fenway Park by the ter- visiting Toronto Blue Jays. So that's going to do it for us here on Down the Line for Kyle Betts. I'm Brevin Hondo. We thank you for listening to our show this week, and we hope you Tune in next week to Down the Line.